WCMIO podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician, a CMIO, and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to bring you Dr. David Butler. Many of you will know him from a ton of other podcasts he has done in the health IT space. He is gracious enough to come on our show. David, welcome. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Glad you're taking some time to help the CMIO community a little bit here. We always benefit from those who are really experienced, have done this stuff a long time. So I appreciate you giving back a little bit of time to us. Uh, If you would, just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you became a CMIO, and maybe even what you're up to now. Okay, sure. So I'm Dave Butler. I have probably a 17-year journey into currently what I do, and it started just around the time, I think, med school and residency. It was right when the internet boom was happening, and a lot of efficiency type things were really, I was struggling with a lot of those things as I was rounding and learning clinical care and doing all those things in the hospital that you're supposed to do. Then once I saw the documentation burden and things that I would have to do over and over and over and over, I thought that it, it would lend itself well to a lot of efficiency. So. That was kind of how I got the bug. Even before that, though, my background is went to Texas A&M undergrad. I'm a Texas boy by 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 background. I live out in Northern California now. It's a bit of a, <laughs> a contrast, which I think I like, and it can kind of catches a lot of folks off guard, which uh, is kind of cool. It makes for interesting airplane conversation. I'll say that. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> and so I uh, went from A&M, went to University of Texas Houston Medical School in the Texas Medical Center, which is one of the largest medical centers in the world. So a lot of great hospitals that I trained through, everything from Herman Memorial, Ben Todd, the Big County Hospital, MD Anderson, St. Luke's, Texas Children's. So all of those hospitals, I had four years baptism into clinical care from UT Houston Medical School, now called McGovern, now across the street over to Baylor College of Medicine, where my residency was in internal medicine and pediatrics. And so now I do a lot of healthcare informatics, which if you think about internal medicine, pediatrics, and now IT, I guess that would kind of equate to a layman maybe. (laughs) (laughs) You cover it all. I think I'm I'm a counteract as well. Yeah. (laughs) What's the next career, Dave? I'm thinking about comedy. Uh, so, so uh, you struck yeah. out as you're on your own though as a consultant at some point here. Yeah. What's that been like? Yeah, that was that was kind of scary because I did. Have, I have I'm married 25 years, a lovely wife, I have two beautiful children. Now I had those early, right out of college, started med school. Uh, one kid, first year of med school. The second kid, my son Dave, was born. First year of internship, my wife was in grad school. So we were just hitting it all, hitting it really hard at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so got a lot of things, quote unquote, out of the way early as far as uh, my kids and all that. And so now they're they're 20 and 24 doing their thing. And my wife's working, she's a PhD, does some things like that. And so we've been moving. We were able to then move around a little bit while leveraging the family early on. Like everyone, and this is something just for, just up and coming CMIOs, up and coming informatics, up and coming anyone. We had a lot of help. We, it took a village when you want to try to do things like that. So I just want to make sure that I do plug them and say thanks for that village that helped us uh, through those times now. Never broke out and hung up my own shingle, but when I finished in 03, my residence in MedPisa, first job out was at Geisinger Health Systems in uh, State College, Pennsylvania. And that was my first foray into practice. And so I had a, it was really interesting because it was kind of cool. It, 
they allowed me to shape my practice the way I wanted, which was I was a hospitalist during the morning. So I saw 10 to 15 patients in the morning in the hospital, and then in the afternoon, I would go to clinic, and I would see patient clinic. And it was kind of interesting. I didn't really think that that was novel or anything. I just knew that I knew intern hospitalist, hospital medicine much better and was much more comfortable coming out of residency than I did ambulatory care. And so it worked out well, where I learned a lot from really smart family practice docs that I was working with at the clinic. And then in the hospital, I was able to care for their patients that were admitted. And then actually, I would even discharge them to myself. So when you talk about crossing the care continuum, mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool. I would discharge them to myself, tuck them in, make sure the meds are right. Then I would hand them right back over to the doctors that were their uh, primary care doctor, which was also in my practice. Really cool. And that's also where I, I got in the whole interoperability. Why would, did the hospital computer not talk to my clinic computer, which happened to be Epic. Geisinger was an early adopter. And so those were some of the first uh, needs that I sought to try to find an answer to, which led me directly to the basement of that hospital to the IT people <laughs> and mm -hmm. also the, mm -hmm. ultimately connecting the IT people from this hospital that was not Geisinger to the IT people at Geisinger trying to create, say, can you make this message go across over here? I didn't have the words or anything like that. I just knew it made sense. And that was my journey. You went from Texas to rural Pennsylvania. <laughs> was that a culture shock of any kind? Uh, you know, I think it was a culture shock more for my patients in Belfont, Pennsylvania than it was for me. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> no, no. Uh, honestly, it, it was a it, it wasn't a bit. I grew up in small town, Texas, so that was kind of almost going back to a small town, but up north. So it wasn't a culture shock as much for me. There were just interesting things I would notice or that would get noticed where my accent, I had a really thick Texas accent back then that I didn't even know it was there. Or I would say something like, for example, I'd say pen, P-I-N, mm -hmm. pen, mm -hmm. for an ink pen, right, or pen. And yeah. the patient would say, what would you say? I'd say, uh, <laughs> pen. He's like, oh, you mean pen, pen. I'd say, oh, yeah, that's what I meant, pen. <laughs> you know, or, or, or even the, like the number nine, ten. T-I-N, that's what we do in the South. It's a 10, right? Not a 10. A 10's a tax ID number. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> and so it was a lot of those things. And I would just jot it down because I felt like it was funny to me. I, it was, I was laughing at it because the patients really, it was about their intent. They really liked me as their doctor. And so they would stop and they would say, Dr. Bella, where are you from? And whenever they would do that, I would back up and say, what word gave you away? And they'd say, <laughs> oh, you wanted me to follow up in July. I was like, how do you say that? July. I was like, oh, get out of here. You're discharged. I'm done with this. I'm not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's like, uh, you know, just it was that that was my that was my style as a doc. I loved my patients and the uh, conversation was always open, transparent. So, yeah, so that was it, it could have been a bigger culture shock had I approached it differently. I'll say that. So as a consultant now, what kind of questions are you getting asked? What are people bringing you in for when yeah. they need informatics help? Yeah, so after the 15 years I've spent for four different large health systems across the U.S., and that means uprooting my family, moving every three to four years to uh, more engaging, better opportunities to learn more about how healthcare IT really transforms healthcare systems, that's kind of the opportunities that I kept looking for, and I kept getting recruited to them. And it was really cool because each job took me from Texas Children's, back from Geisinger, Texas Children's, where I, more informatics, implementation, optimization experience. Uh, then from there, large 15 hospital system, Bon Secours, 
across five different states that taught me a lot about like I was at a corporate level taught me a lot about how corporate relates to local you know how does that work almost like federal and state you really have to understand how that works in the dynamics to really be effective right and then from there Sutter Health in 2014 recruited me to be a VP over all of their 24 hospitals and their EHR implementations and optimization uh, 20 million dollar budgets large money big corporate uh, entity a lot of uh, very smart people doing really cool things and I landed right in the intersection of them so those are kind of my collective experiences over 15 years so with that I started a consulting company that did, whose main goal was to help other mainly epic institutions maximize the software that they purchased right that's kind of mm -hmm. what we keep in mind meaning if they bought it but they're not quite sure what to do with it how to do it the experience that I have and my team has and that folks that I know have like you, one call to Mark, say, hey, Mark, i um, got a client over here that they're really struggling with this or that. You're like, oh, yeah, we did that uh, a couple of years ago. Would you mind connecting, talking to them? So I'm more like a networker, to be quite honest, and I'm a consultant, but I kind of, I don't know. It's just, I love this stuff. So I, I really feel like I don't want the clients to spend any extra money if they don't have to. And if there are solutions out there and just need to be connected, Let's connect you first, right? And then go from there. So that's really what I've now been doing the past three years. And I've worked with over eight, nine different large healthcare systems, anywhere from three months to a year and a half each with other consultants that I would bring on to help out in some instances. And we would then solve a lot of the problems. Typically the problems that we would get called for is uh, when, I always say, whenever the physicians become a bit frustrated and there becomes a lot of white noise, regarding the EHR, revenue, productivity, time spent in the EHR, clicks, frustrations, things like that. That's when I will maybe get a call to say, hey Dave, we just wanna make sure we understand, because most CEOs and most of the executives in, in the C-suite, they wanna do right by the clinicians and physicians. So, But first they have to truly understand. And so, so I'll usually get called in to do a brief cursory uh, overview uh, to come in and just see what's really going on is it what is the white noise where's the signal right and that's kind of what I get called in for <laughs> and uh, my do they understand I mean do, do you find that the c-suite knows what informatics is what we do whether we add value or we're just expense what's your thoughts absolutely not <laughs> yeah, I know, and that's a bold statement, and I know I'm like probably gonna lose a gig or two for saying it, but I gotta say it. You know, it's true. I, the, honestly, the companies that call me, they know they're good, and they're they're really solid, right? Where they know, like, look, we don't know this world. It's a lot of moving parts. We were like, you know, these are 55, 65 year old, sometimes older, you know, executives who's really have crushed hospital care over the years, but with this new world of electronic health records data, security, uh, analytics, clinical decision support, governance, all of the complexes that comes with it. That was something never they've had to experience. And so they're really aware of that. And so that's when they'll call someone like me to be either a confidential curbside or a actual come out to meet the doctors so that the physicians know that they are actively finding people that they trust and that can partner with either their CMIO or their IT team or their CMO, CNO, C-suite, whatever, so that they can really get an understanding of what it is that you need. Because as physicians, you know, burnout is real. We can get really frustrated over a lot of things and can make a lot of noise. And 
sometimes it may not come out the right way. Mm-hmm. So I find that they are aware that of their limitations at times, and so they do try to bring the right people together to help them understand. But I, I still feel like the term clinical informatics, what is the purpose of a doc that does IT? Uh, I can't see the purpose. I can't find an ROI there, Dave. Mm-hmm. I don't just feel like they should be seeing patients, right? Why does a doctor want to test the EHR? You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or they're like, doesn't Epic do that already? I mean, Epic's EHR has already kind of got everything in it now, right? You know, we have 400 uh, client experiences. And that's all true. But if you don't leverage them the right way, then that's all, you know, you, you're still stuck with what you have, you know. And so I just try to make sure that I usually sometimes just echo what their own CMIO is saying or their own internal team may have been saying but may not have gotten across the same way. So, yeah, I hope that Great. makes sense. <laughs> Let me take advantage of your really extensive CMIO experience and knowledge here. Looking forward now, three years, what should a CMIO have in their toolkit, their skill set that they're developing that's going to prepare them to be effective over the next three to five years? Okay, wow, that's a solid question. I feel that, and not only me, but you talk with some of the folks at Chime and some of the folks at the boot camps that uh, I've been faculty on or some of the other CMIOs like the Brian Patties or the Natalie Paglieri's and UCSF or, or Chris Longhurst and all those. I feel that what the word is that the CMIO must have, must truly be at the, the big boys table, the big table, okay? Meaning mm-hmm. it's chief in title, but what we find a lot of time, if you pull back the covers a little bit, that role really goes down to a director type level, right? Mm-hmm. Or they're expected to do 80% CMIO, 20% clinical, and that's almost non-negotiable, right? And so what that ends up being is like 140% full work, and that can sometimes really, really burn through you, through docs. And so I feel like the, the CMIO 2.0, the next three to four years, is going to have to know definitely analytics. they got to know analytics cold, understand it understand the power of it, understand how it dovetails into whether it's clinical decisions port via AI, machine learning, or just uh, internal tools that uh, are natively to the EMR, and then when to cut bait with the EHR and when to bring in external resources or third-party apps and things like that to solve certain business needs or clinical needs that occur. That's, uh, that's one. Two, I think uh, the CMOs will have to understand budgets. They have to understand that when you present something that physicians say they need or that is needed or vetted projects that come through, how they're ranked, prioritized, the CMO must be very, very agile at selling that, you know, (laughs) selling that concept to the leadership, to the board, to the CEO, to make sure that what we buy and implement and that's used can show somewhat of an ROI. I hate to say it like that, but without an ROI, it's really hard to get things paid for now. And as you know, all the large EHR implementations have been implemented with a uh, benefits realization, I'll say, not an ROI. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and many CFOs that I know, they don't know what the heck a benefits realization means. <laughs> so I guess it's speaking their language. They can't put that in the bank. Yeah, you can't. Uh, you can't, you can't put a, <laughs> exactly. I like that. So I think that those are those are a couple of things. So I alluded to three things. So one is going to have to be, they're going to have to understand analytics, data, CDS, machine learning, AI, and all that. It's going to be a lot of tech coming out, right? 
Mm-hmm. But the real question is, what is the bell and whistles that needs to be blown and that needs to be rung, right? We cannot keep taking all these cool stuff because it's so much, right? So where is the real meat? What are we trying to accomplish, right? That's one. And two is going to be understanding budgets, finances. How does this work, right? How will we get the money for this? Who pays for it? Uh, and how much money or revenue or patient benefit can we actually make from this particular innovation, right? While not shortchanging things like research, right? Mm-hmm. Or for example, academic institution, the really smart folks are in academics. Research is important. P- publishing, papers, right? These are really important, which creates downstream revenue, downstream recognition, brand recognition, market recognition, right? Those all add up to a long game. So I think those are the CMIO qualities that I feel will need to be really honed along with continued communication, effective communication skills at all levels to the nursing, ancillary staff, and definitely to the physicians and the frontline users. So, yeah. Awesome. That's great advice. Appreciate you helping us with that. So, I understand you've mentored a few CMIOs. How should a CMIO go about getting a mentor? Is that Do you think it's still important for a CMIO to have a mentor? Start with oh, that. Yeah, so, yeah, solid question. I can't count how many mentors I've had over the years. Man, <laughs> and maybe because I'm, I'm a bit of an extrovert and also I'm not that smart, so <laughs> I, I would all, no, 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 seriously, I'm not that guy that's just going to pick up on, I coded in Python. Oh, I created the widget in Python. Here you go. Put that in. Wow, it works. Dave's awesome. No, I'm not that dude. So <laughs> I, I found that, that I just would, I don't know, mentorship is so important in all aspects of life. I tell it to my son, he's 20 year old, he's a computer science major. Uh, my daughter, 24 year old, she works in Hollywood in a writer's room. Uh, first, that's always been their advice, get a mentor, find someone who's doing what you want to do or close to what you want to do. Ask them, will you be my mentor? Meaning, I don't want anything from you but to buy you a cup of coffee once a month, an hour, talk on the phone or whatever and just this is what I'm doing now. Can you give me any advice? What are your thoughts on where I am? Is this the right direction? What would you have done different if you were me type things? And, and what you'll find is that one, the folks that I was really intimidated by to approach, when I did approach them, they were very cordial. They were amazed that I would even uh, approach them. And, <laughs> and they were actually like, sure, uh, give me a call. And I would call them and they were very friendly and they were nice and they shared the tips and tricks with me, books, articles, they would send me things to read, want to talk about it next time, things like that. So, And it really helped me out a lot and helped change the trajectory of my career where I really wanted to be the physician. I wanted to be the Norman Rockwell doctor and that's, I didn't want to give that side up. But as you start doing more CMIO and executive work, it starts pulling away from the clinical time. So that made me feel like less of a quote real doctor. And that was something I really struggled with, to be quite honest. I did not want to be this suit, as we used to call, you know, some of mm-hmm. we call them, oh, they're like a suit. They're not even practicing anymore. So I just didn't want to be that person, right? And so I was so married to not, to always practicing that I believe I was missing some parts of the benefits of, if you're in the room and you're on an executive level, how much more effective you could be for those docs that cannot be in the room, right? And, or the, or the folks that you represent. And so they, the mentorship really helped me with that particular struggle that I was having and understanding where that fits. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. 
So I'm going to keep going by ticking your brain here as a seasoned CMIO. Have you ever bumped up against a CIO or a CMO in your organization that you just couldn't get to support your initiative, but you felt it was important? What should CMIOs do in that case? Usually they're oh, yeah. reporting to one of those. No, no, solid, solid. Yeah, because so that was interesting. So when I was coming to one large company that I was being recruited to, I had an opportunity to pick. Do, do you want to report to the CIO? Do you want to report to the CMO? And I thought that was really cool that they gave me that option, right? But before, and normally I would say CMO always, because the CIO wasn't a physician, but the CMO was, and I always mm -hmm. like to feel like stay on the clinical side. But in this particular instance, it seems as if the CIO had a war chest of funds, right? Right. <laughs> and the CMO was a bit outgoing CMO at a large system that wasn't as, quote, and it was a, a poorly formed corporate structure, I'll say, at the time, right? So, and uh, this company was going through some changes, too. So it was advice was given to me once I sought my mentors and things like that. And I told them what was going on, maybe three different opinions. They all told me, say, well, Butler, in this situation, it sounds like you should report to the CIO because, one, it sounds like he's a great leader. He's also a mentor, right? And he's an advocate for you already. And also, he's trusted among the physicians. So the, reporting directly to him but dotted line to others is maybe the win-win. And they all, he also has, quote, the war chest, meaning funding for you to do the things that they're bringing you in to do. Whereas the other role, if I were to report over there, they would not have had the funding in the budget. It would have been had to be created and all the other things like that. So that was one. So, But when it comes to reporting, I think it's all individual. You have to really think through each individual uh, case. But I think in general, you're seeing more and more folks reporting to the CMO. Or I'm even seeing places where they're partnering, where the CMIO, if you're a good CMIO, you know what CIOs do. You know what the CMO does, right? And mm -hmm. so you are highly, I feel like it's easier for a CMIO to be a CMO, right? Than it is for a CMO to be a chief medical information officer, right? I just find that over and over. And uh, it could be some, the CMO does a lot of the peer review, medical staff, recruiting, and they have time allocated. It's a established chief role, like chief nursing officer, chief medical officer. Those are roles that are well-established. However, I find that they're not that well-equipped at times. This is, you know, just in my experience. The CMOs rely heavily on the CIO or your CMIO for all the tech-related analytics, all that stuff. They rely heavily on that, the CMIO to help with that. And they don't mind giving that to you, you know. So I think the partnerships yeah. are huge. And I think you're right. The budget does sit in the CIO's uh, yeah, right now it bin. Does. It doesn't it's sit so much in the CMO bin. Pretty much, yeah. So help us out with third-party vendors, because I don't know about you, but my in-basket has exploded since COVID-19 <laughs> started here. But we do have need, let's say, we got to stand up a telehealth initiative. H how do you go about vetting third-party vendors when a wrong decision could really impact your career? Like They're counting on you to make the right call here. What do you think? Definitely. No, I think this is one of those things that may be a little bit more unique to me as well. I've always been in the apps since the Palm Pilot days, right? right. <laughs> so so that, that I'll preface with that. So and when I had to spend money on an app, I'm going to research it. What are the sites that show me a comparison? Try you know, this and that. And also, I wanted to know a little bit about that. I didn't ever want it to be the first one 
to beta test something, right? I don't, so I think those are things that I personally, that's my style because I just didn't have the money. You know, I'm very tight and frugal, but also I, I want, if I do purchase your software, I want to know like you'll be around. You're not going to sell off or I'm not going to be stuck with something that's not going to upgrade or expand or things like that. So I find that third parties, I just want to make sure from the third party, and this has been, I would always, as a habit, I would, see, I would at least take two to three vendor calls a month uh, just to see what are they wearing, as if they're offering something that I feel like the company could benefit from. And this was a bit different, is that I never thought about like the politics of entertaining vendors and all that. Sometimes I wish I would have. I, I, <laughs> this is sad to say, but sometimes I wish I would have, but I just didn't. If, if they had a product that I felt like our company was struggling with, whether it's a sepsis tool, because I knew how hard it was to create something around sepsis, say back six, seven, eight years ago in Epic, I, I want to hear what the vendors have. And I want to know how does that integrate into with our current system and the workflow that our frontline physicians do, because this was a time where I was not practicing. So I didn't forget how it was a practice. And I want to know, does the software, whatever this happens, is there a seamless experience, right? And if it's meant for the doctors, it has to be seamless because two or three clicks is two or three clicks extra that they're not going to do and they're going to balk against, right? Mm-hmm. So those are some things. I look at UX, user experience. I look at the company. How solid are they? Will they be around? Do they have a rep, right? And also, have they already integrated with a couple of other Epic clients? And this is one of those things, just being with Epic for 17 years or like working with Epic, I started understanding the rhythm. And I just knew like, if you have implemented in three or four Epic clients, then I could make one, two or three phone calls and I'll know exactly how good you are. So I just never like to introduce a new software to my CMO, CEO, CIO as a solution or something. And that's a bit tricky. You know, I come to the West Coast that when I came out here, it was very it was very common for them to go to Silicon Valley first before they even call Epic. And I thought that was something different. I thought that mm-hmm. was very uh, new to me, but very innovative out here. So I'll just say that's the way I look at third parties. First, I want to know how long you've been around. Is the software solid? Use experience good? Is support good? Have you implemented with other Epic clients and they've gotten a win? Kind of sounds pretty rudimentary, but that's no, that's good stuff. That's 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 all because I know we're all in this situation. I I don't think we're going to be doing a whole lot of new software implementation once we stabilize from a COVID standpoint because we're all going to be bankrupt. But (laughs) exactly, (laughs) yeah, no software. But we. We do get these pitches from vendors, and you ever walk through the hall at Hims, and you're going to get you know twenty thousand pitches put at you. How do you know? How do you work with these vendors to vet them and see who's for real and and who's more sales than than delivery? Yeah, I so, know exactly. Uh, they have a lot of really good marketing team, especially now. You have a lot of startups, Silicon Valley. I mean, and they can really spin up some money and get some serious funding and all that to do some really cool stuff. But I just. Once again, the, the answer is the question that I would always have to have is like, how serious are they about healthcare? Does the people in that startup, are they docs? Are they communicating with docs? Do they have an advisory board made up of physician, practicing physicians, right? Mm. Not just the Dave Butlers who hadn't touched a patient in eight years. No slight to me because I'm kind of bad ass, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> you can edit that out. <laughs> You can edit that I'm out. I'm leaving that in. I'm <laughs> All right, you can leave it in. in. Leave it in. That's cool. All right. Okay. So I think I think that's that's what I see is a lot of startups, a lot of money being thrown in Silicon Valley and things like that, or was. Now post COVID, we just got to see what sticks. But just over in the COVID thing, I think I've seen like 25 different COVID-related apps. I don't know how that 
some are for patient only, some are for maybe patient physician, and Epic and Cerner, they have their own patient portal type things. I don't know how those things communicate with the patient portal easily, right? But uh, you and I both know interfaces and all that, building that in the midst of short-staffed IT teams, testing, regression testing, and all that. Those are really intense activities, right? So That's yeah. why we're both friends with Dave Levin. I mean, we don't it, have to deal with that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Datica is really Datica yeah, does this for no, no. <laughs> Yeah, Dave is the wizard at that API stuff. So, yeah, I agree. So what advice do you have for existing CMIOs that are going to help them have an impact on their healthcare systems? I think the biggest advice I would have for existing CMIOs is to remain relevant, okay? That is very hard, meaning this. The CIO role is so dynamic and changing, right? Mm -hmm. The CTO's role, very dynamic and changing. You now have a CISO who's come out of nowhere with these wings like the, the dragon from Westeros, Drogon, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, it's like the CISO is really like, the, wow, you have to protect this data, right? The uh, sec chief information security officer, CISO. Mm -hmm. And so I think trying to balance the security, locking the front door or watching the back door while also easily accessing patients' care, I think those are some things that I think is going to be the new challenges that's going to be faced by the CMO is really fighting for, advocating for chief information officers, compliance officers, risk to say, hey, can you show me the evidence, right? Can you, so that I can now translate to the frontline physicians as their advocate, why they have to do it this way, 20 clicks, or only use, I don't know, make up something, Microsoft Teams to try to have a meeting and that team's not even set up right at my organization, whatever. Those are the type of things I feel like is gonna be the uh, hard discussions coming up is about user experience because now we got technology, all the technology can do everything, right? But now, how easy is it? How easy is it for a practicing physician who's caring for patients, or a nurse who's trying to assist this physician and those patients? How easy is, is it? Will it be? And I say easy, meaning the cognitive friction, right? Mm -hmm. How is it something that just makes sense? Click, click, click is done, right? Or is this something where I gotta now two logins, uh, a password that needs to get text to me and then put it in again and it resets every five minutes but there's no data anywhere to say that that's beneficial right so i don't know i feel like those are some areas that a lot of docs that i talk to they're really frustrated at those areas where the technology is getting better but getting to it when they're off site and when they need it is a bit more challenging because of various self-imposed regulations restrictions policies that may be legacy at local organizations or they may be due to some incident that happened in the past that they've locked them down a little bit tighter. So those are things I would just say. I would ask the CMIOs to repose re the question to, to CISOs and rehab those discussions, reopen those discussions back up, and that could be one of the coolest things that they could do for their organization and their docs while not compromising patient privacy. So what I hear you saying, it's more than just the care and feeding of the EMR. It's definitely getting into interoperability, and I've heard you say previously there was analytics that need to be involved. So it's definitely spreading their wings beyond the EMR care. Definitely. It's definitely not. The EMR is part of it, but you have so many other apps. You have so many other interactions occurring. And you as a CMIO, you should have a understanding, at least a high-level understanding of it all, but also having resources that you can tap into that are your peer, could be your peers, like a CTO, CIO, 
Okay, it could be folks that report to you, like a really good analyst that understands it and can break it down in English to you, so you can now make a decision, right? Or it could be someone like your your superiors, like a CEO. Those are all like people that you must build relationships with so that you can manage this new world that we're headed into. I want to let you go here, but I do want to ask you one more question because I know you're working on a, a Facebook Live program that could help a ton of physicians out there. Tell us a little bit about what you're up to and helping doctors be more efficient because it's a oh, part yeah. that it touches to me. I have been involved with trying to make physicians more uh, effective in what they do for a long time. I love what you're doing here. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Calix is the company. We're, I, we call ourselves like a boutique clinical focused, mainly epic EHR workflow type consultant stress strategic company. We come in when physicians are a bit frustrated or clinicians are clicking way too much or burnouts are happening and that may be attributed to the HR, may not be, not quite sure. So we just kind of come in like that. We focus strictly there. So what we've been working on is this one program for the past two years. We've been just piling it, but we've done over like 20, 30 different episodes of this. Like it's just remote efficiency. So we call it C-R-E-A, like concierge remote EHR, you know, efficiency, right? So what that means is we remotely can help physicians focus on the top four things that we know from a clinical workflow perspective, tried and true, 15 years we've watched this thing. Here are the four things you better have set up in your end basket, right? That is sticky, right? I mean, you set it up, it just works. End basket, the rearrange, all these things Epic is already doing, all these things your, your own company has the data on in the PEP signal reports that Epic sends out. These mm -hmm. are really, the data's there. What we find over and over is that the doctors may not take the time or there may not be institutional resources, appropriate ones to actually do anything with the data. So what we say is, hey, hey, call us, get on the books for an hour. What do you want to focus on for that hour? Two things only, either in-basket documentation, order entry, customization, period. And we already have like the four key things on each one of those buckets that we cover very rapidly for with them and then let them go. Because the last thing you want to do is try to reteach a physician or retrain a physician anything out of context, right? So a doc, usually it's doctor doc. We have physicians that have been providing elbow support all over the USA. And so we'll use them to make initial contact, meet with the doc, and we also make sure that we talk workflows. But we don't just say, oh, and this button does this, and this button does that. No, we'll say, okay, for here's the top three message types that you need to have a quick action for. It needs to have your normal results, patient messages, and things like prescription refills, period. Things like that. So we, we show them how to easily set that up. Things like that. So that's what I feel like, and it's remote already. And now because the COVID is going on, we, we want to give away, we're giving away like 25 free hours of anybody that want to sign up, they can sign up for a course and just see how it works and go from there. So that's what we feel like that's our part now. It's just 25 free hours. So to anybody, I think right now we're down to like 20 hours left. So there you go. So that, that honestly, the Facebook Live was to kind of announce that and what we're doing. And it's, it's, we're covering the same thing that they've been hearing or may not have been hearing is finding data easily. It's in-basket management. It's order efficiency or fasting, finding orders or ordering things faster, more efficiently or more uh, standard, right? And it's also customizing your workspace so that you don't have that cockpit effect, things like that. It's just amazing how many physicians just don't quite know where to start. It's overwhelming. So that's what we do. That sounds like a great program. Definitely take advantage of outsourcing a, a real challenging training situation that we're all facing right now with COVID. 
what a, you know, this is an, uh, this is all virtual, I assume. All and, virtual, uh, yeah. Yeah, all so, virtual. I mean, that's, that's and, and the good thing, Mark, is that they're all now, in, pre-COVID, is that they're at their computers in their home already, and they probably don't have the same, the volume of patients, right? So that's a big deal. Versus yeah, before, it was a little bit more challenging to say, hey, the time to invest right now. You're right. Exactly. And before the surge hits or before they start back to regular practice. Right. So that's what we thought. Yeah, let's try that. Let's make sure we get the word out. Yeah. David, thank you. This has been phenomenal. If people want to get in touch with you, talk about that program or other things, how do Definitely. they reach you? If they want to get in touch with me, just uh, either email me. I'm on LinkedIn, David K. Butler, MD. Find me on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter at DaveButlerMD. Twitter's fun. I also email is david.k.butler at calyx, C-A-L-Y-X, partners.com. That's all one word, calyxpartners.com, or go to the website. Awesome. Thank you. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn and send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.